Hello and welcome to the Book of Leaves podcast. My name is Cara Kearney and I am your host. This is a podcast where I interview people in Ireland who are doing something good for the planet in some way. They could be activists, they could be um, business owners, they could be working for an NGO, they could just be normal everyday people who are trying to compost at home or use cloth nappies. And the whole idea is I like to get to know them and get to know their journey and learn about why they do what they do so that we can take a leaf or several from their book to add to their own living. So that's uh, to our own way of living. So that's where the name comes from and I myself am an actor by trade and I am just hugely passionate about the environment. This is a really um, important passion project of mine. I've just finished doing a play actually as part of the Drogheda Arts Festival and uh, we'll be doing another show in Dundalk in Anton at the start of June if anyone is, wants to come and see what I do outside of this podcast. It's called Behind Locked Doors. But before we get into this mega amazing interview with Una Fitzpatrick as part of who is part of the All Ireland Pollinator Plan. I learned so much from this. I went into it thinking I know loads about pollinators and what I can do and me wildflowers, etc. etc. No, I learned so so much. So I hope you guys will as well. But I just want to plug a real live event that's happening and remind you guys that I am going to be interviewing Sirsha Exton and Mancon McGann, the journalist and writer extraordinaire as part of the future Limerick Climate Arts Festival on the 18th of May in the Bell Table Theatre down there. Tickets are only eight euro and yeah I'm really nervous about it because usually I get to edit my interviews but this is going to be live so you're going to hear me the raw uncut Karakarni interviewing two people so I'm really excited and yeah we're going to be talking about lots of different things from mental health to how we feel about the future and how we we can make the future that we need and that we want happen so yeah I'm really really looking forward to this chat so hopefully if any of you are near to Limerick or your friends or family down there do send this event their way and yeah I'll leave a link in the show notes and everything that is mentioned that is mentioned um, including timestamps of when we're talking about what topic if that's all you want to hear is in the show notes as well and don't forget to check out pollinators.ie for so much more information and if you do like this podcast if you would like to support it i do have a patreon account patreon.com forward slash book of leaves and a buymeacoffee.com forward slash book of leaves if you can't afford a continuous subscription and only like maybe once off support it all goes back into the podcast so i have um i use zencaster which is 18 dollars a month i use i have a photo editing app which is 30 euro a year i have um video editing software and i have um i guess my time <laughs> and the website so if you are able to contribute anything towards the podcast that would be amazing I have a very uh, tumultuous unpredictable income so I had a fiver in my account last week which stressed me out <laughs> like no end um, so yeah if you're able to contribute anything towards the podcast it would be greatly appreciated and as always it's even more helpful to share it with a friend and recommend it to someone or to a group that you're a part of if uh, they're in this kind of climate um movement and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts if you could rate review on that that would be very helpful. Now I'm going to pass you on to Una who can teach us a thing or two about pollinators and don't forget it's May now so if you can leave your garden whatever patch of grass you are guardian of 
to um, to the pollinators, to the birds and the bees for the month of May. Just let it grow, let the clover come up, let the dandelion stay and watch the magic happen. That would be amazing. Even just a patch of your grass. So yeah, and tell your friends and family as well about No More May because we're in May now. So there's no other time to do No More May than in May. Um, all right, thanks guys. Here's Una and I'll talk to you after. Una, thank you so much for joining me on the Book of Leaves podcast. It is lovely to have you here. And can you start by introducing yourself to listeners who might not know you, please? Thanks, Karen. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, my name's Dr. Una Fitzpatrick. I work as a senior ecologist in the National Biodiversity Data Centre. And in 2015, I set up the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan with a colleague in Trinity, uh, Professor Jean Stoit, and I oversee implementation of that plan. Cool. So your training or your studies were in ecology, is that right? Yeah, that's right. I did uh, botany in, in Trinity back in the day. And yeah, I did a PhD actually in plant genetics. And then after that, I moved into insect conservation. Right. So it's always been quite nature focused for you. And have you always had that love of nature or was there like an aha moment for you that got you into this? Yeah, I get asked this actually, how did I get into biodiversity? And the honest answer is that I've got such happy memories of of nature from my childhood. Like I really do. You know, I grew up in Northern Ireland in the 80s. We had on the edge of a town, you know, a small garden, but it was full of nature. You know, there were hedgehogs and frogs. And I always say, if we scared to go outside the door at night, you know, when it was dark, there'd be so many moths flitting around the lights. You know, we had house martins come to nest in the eaves of the roof and, you know, so many wildflowers around in the area. So, yeah, and I have really happy memories of those days. And I think it probably, you know, stems back to them. Yeah, you're definitely not the first and you won't be the last guest to say how having an immersive experience in nature as part of your childhood had that kind of impression on them, which is pretty cool. And that sounds amazing, having that kind of sanctuary out the back. I remember seeing one hedgehog in person growing up as a child and it was like, whoa, an in-person hedgehog. I would love to see another one. But anyway... And was it in your studies, during your studies that you realised or before them, pre-studies, where you realised that we are heading in the wrong direction in regards to protection of biodiversity? I think it was probably pre and what you said is really interesting and I've said this so many times, you know, the stealth that changes happen with is it's really terrifying. You know, I've got kids now and their experience of nature is so, so different. And we keep on creating these new normals. And you're right, it's exactly what you said. You know, so for my sons, you know, they see the occasional moth or don't know if they've ever seen a hedgehog like you. You know, that's their normal. And you know, we can't that's not biodiversity's normal. We can't allow it to be. So I suppose I've always been aware that we might be heading in the wrong direction. And then certainly obviously, you know, when when you're studying it more formally in, in college or whatever you know, you become even more aware again. But, you know, I, I think things started to go downhill. You know, I suppose I was fortunate enough to be a child, you know, in the 80s. And I think it was after that that things really started changing dramatically in this country. You know, so, and I was feeling the kind of responsibility because there's not that many generations that know what it's supposed to be like. Um, so, you know, and it's, it's so important that we step up to the plate and try to do something to, you know, to create a better future for future generations. Yeah, that's such a good point because humans were hardwired to adapt to change, like to survive. But we even see it with the pandemic, you know, how quickly we forget 
where we've been like when two kilometer restriction was a thing and you know when masks first came in and how different it was but then we adapt and now it's so normal uh, like it's a good thing but at the same time it's kind of at our detriment as well because we really quickly become used to having no insects on our windscreens when we're driving on roads and I remember that as a child growing you would hear the patter of them on the on the windscreen and go, oh no, that's another one. And now it's just so rare. So hopefully more people who can remember what it's supposed to be like can, I guess, step in to the movement to remind us. Yeah, and also I suppose, and I would say this because I work in the National Biodiversity Data Centre, but it is so important to keep collecting data. You know, we've got a scheme, it's a citizen science scheme, which we track what's happening with bumblebees across the Irish landscape. So it's amazing volunteers who agree to walk this fixed one kilometre route close to their house, and they count the number of different bumblebee species that they see. And that scheme allows us to understand what's really happening with bumblebees in the landscape. And you might think anecdotally, well, you know, there's still bumblebees, we still see them, but it's only when you collect that data in that scientific way that you see what's really happening. And that scheme has shown us that bumblebees are still declining in abundance since we started measuring it. You know, and I think it's it's a wee bit depressing. And I always say, well, we might be measuring decline, but what we're going to do is start measuring recovery really soon. But, you know, it does show you the importance of having data because otherwise you're right, things become normal so quickly. Um, and unless you have that baseline data and you keep collecting it and using it to drive change and having these evidence bases that you're working from, you know, that's the only you know, that, that's so crucial for the future. Absolutely. And the National Biodiversity Data Centre, you mentioned or talked a little bit about um, why collecting data is so important already. But I guess, can anyone collect data, you know, whether you're living rural or urban or working or not? And is it only um, bulb? bumblebees or other other things and I presume it's something that you go on the website to find out how to do it? Yeah so the National Biodiversity Data Centre it's a wee bit like the Central Statistics Office but for plant and animal information so we collect data from lots and lots of different sources so from lots of professional surveys and academia and government um, and we bring it all together into the same database so that we can see what's actually happening with Irish biodiversity. But we have a separate stream, which is where anyone can get involved in sending data to us. And that's another stream that feeds into those national data sets. So we run lots and lots of different um, initiatives. Some of them are more structured and formal than others. So like the bumblebee monitoring scheme that I just talked about, where you have to follow a certain methodology. We also have a butterfly monitoring scheme. Then we have other initiatives which are a bit less time consuming, maybe, or you know, a bit simpler. So there's a garden butterfly scheme, for example, where you spend 15 minutes counting the butterflies in your garden. There's another scheme called Flower Insect Timed Counts, where you watch a patch of flowers and for 10 minutes and count how many insects visit. So there's lots and lots of different schemes. There's a whole suite of schemes on then on plants and on marine, explore your shore. So there's loads of different initiatives that you can get involved in. Uh, and so if you if you visit the website biodiversityireland.ie, you know, you'll, you'll see the whole range of things that we, the schemes that we offer and the ways that you can get involved. But yeah, you can do it in anywhere, urban, rural, anywhere in, in you know in Ireland, and you don't need any previous experience. You know, we run lots of workshops. We've got lots of resources to help people learn to identify the different components of biodiversity, whatever you happen to be interested in. And yeah, no, it's a fantastic way, I suppose, to know that you are helping in some way because the data genuinely is used. You know, to it feeds through to decision makers and it is used to drive change. 
That's really important to know. And it's also good, I guess, to have an excuse to get out into your own garden, into nature and realise what you actually have on your doorstep. So, yeah, deadly. Yeah. And what you can also do, actually, you don't have to take part in any of the schemes. You can just send us in when you see something. So if you're sitting in your garden later on, you know, and you see oh, a blackbird, a buttercup, a ladybird, whatever it is that you see and that you're able to identify, you, you can either go onto our website and submit that sighting. Or we also have a smartphone app, which is even easier to use. And you just, you know, you just select what you've spotted on the, on the app and then you upload it to us. And then obviously we validate all that data before it feeds through into the national data sets. Very good. It's good to know these things. So you mentioned when you were introducing yourself that you also helped set up the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan. Now, I've talked about biodiversity and, um, I guess, nature before on the podcast with the likes of Mary Reynolds and Collie Ennis and um, Dr. Elaine O'Donoghue, who does hedgehog conservation. But to hone in on pollinators, can you start by explaining what the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan plan is to us. Yeah, so again, because I work in, in the data centre and we knew that bees in Ireland were in such trouble. So Ireland has, I'm going to get this figure wrong now because actually a new one arrived this week, would you believe? So um, we now have 100 wild bee species. So 21 different bumblebees and 79 different solitary bees. And I can tell you about the new one, you know, after. So really interesting actually to have a new bee arrive in Ireland this week for the first time. But we have 100 wild bees and unfortunately one third of those are threatened with extinction. So that's what we knew. And at the same time, you know, in universities in Ireland and Trinity, particularly with Jane Stout, but also in other universities in Ireland and, and globally, we knew why it was happening and we knew what we could do about it. So I guess Jane and I came together and said, you know, we're just watching this problem happen and let's kind of come together and try to develop a plan to address it, I suppose, positively going forward. So we did that, you know, we put together a first draft of a plan and then we called an all-island steering group and, and it was developed from there. And then the first all-island pollinator plan was published in 2015 and basically it identified 81 actions to make the island of Ireland more pollinator friendly again. Here's me imagining five or six. That's so cool. 81. Well, Gar, there was 81 in the first plan, which went from 2015 to 2020. And then we have a new plan from 21 to 25. And we totally lost run of ourselves. We've gone to 186 actions this time. <laughs> so Amazing. Um, it's really good to know. Because, I mean, options are good. You could be a school group or you could be exactly. one person in an apartment. So it's good to know that there are various different options for you depending on you know what suits or whatever deadly but to move on to another thing I'd love to know is what pollinators are I know sometimes or I've seen that uh, you know we can forget about other pollinators like flies and whatnot and we hear a lot about bees but I guess to define pollinators and um, how important they are would you be able to tell us what pollinators actually are I mean you never know might learn something new yeah well in Ireland we have different insect pollinators and actually bees are by far and away the most important so we've got the 100 wild bee species and then we also have the honeybee which is a domesticated pollinator so bees are the most important pollinating insects by far and the reason for that is that the entire life cycle of bees is totally focused on plants so bees are totally focused on going to visit plants, collect pollen to bring back to feed their young. You know, so they're continually visiting flowers, um, which makes them really good pollinators. So the most important pollinators are bees. Then that's followed by various different fly groups, and particularly hoverflies. 
We have 180 different hoverfly species in Ireland. So the most important are the bees, then the hoverflies, and then various other insects that visit flowers. So they will carry out bits of incidental pollination as they move from flower to flower. But really, it's the bees and the hoverflies that are the most important insect pollinators in, in Ireland. Um, and say then, you know, all the other things, the butterflies and moths and, and beetles and you know, anything else that happens to visit a flower. I should perhaps say actually that moths, if, if I had to pick a next group, so it would be bees, then hoverflies, and then moths, and then all the other insects. There you go. I did learn something new. So when we're talking about bees then pollinating flowers, do they also, though, pollinate our food? I mean, I know in Ireland, I think about only 1% of the food we produce is uh, vegetables or fruit. But do they do we rely on them to feed us basically yeah you know there's three really main reasons why pollination is so important to us the first is that they do pollinate some crops in ireland and we know that the free service that bees provide is worth up to 59 million a year to the irish economy um so they are pollinating and you're right we don't have a huge pollinator dependent agricultural sector but we do have one that's growing so that's the first reason the second reason is that Lots of our fruits and vegetables need to be pollinated. And, you know, for generation upon generation, we would have grown our own fruit and vegetable in Ireland. You know, we've moved away from that. But if we want to maintain our ability to do that, and we want to maintain the ability of future generations to do that, we have to maintain healthy pollinator populations. You know, and I think there's a huge onus on that, us to protect that ability to grow our own fruit and vegetables into the future. Whether you want to do it or not at the minute, you know, it is up to you. And then the third reason is that up to 90% of our wild plants also benefit from being pollinated. So again, you know, without pollinators in the landscape, it looks totally different. It's a lot less colourful. There's a lot less wild plants. Those wild plants are so important, you know, within the overall environment. You know, they're providing habitat and food for so much of our biodiversity. They're also providing, you know, carbon sequestration, flood mitigation services, not to mention, you know, the joy and the health benefits that we all get from having places where we can connect with nature. So, yeah, you know, it's pollinators are absolutely fundamentally important in our landscape. They're the bees knees, pardon the pun, but uh, very good, learned loads there. And before we get into how to help them, I think it is, I guess, important to know and acknowledge what is threatening them at the moment. So you can correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as I'm aware, one of the biggest um, drivers of, I guess, biodiversity loss when it comes to our pollinators will be habitat loss, which is usually um, from residential development and um, farming a lot of the time and also heavy chemical use again in farming with the likes of chemical fertilizer or pesticides and um, you can correct me if I'm wrong and are there any more? Yeah no you're absolutely right the the biggest driver is is loss of habitat and you know sometimes say the biggest driver is just hunger you know there's not enough places where they can feed in the landscape anywhere we don't have enough flowers across our landscape you know so it's true that some of the really rare species are disappearing because they don't have the specific habitats that they need anymore whether that's a really rich you know flourish sand dune or bog or whatever but a lot of our species are simply in trouble because there is just not enough food for them in, in the landscape anymore. And that's a consequence of the way that we manage it in terms of how we manage our farms and in terms of how we manage our public land and in terms of how we manage our gardens. So hunger really is the main driver, not enough flowers for bees and other pollinators in the landscape. After that, you know, it's hard for them to find places to nest. So I guess it's hunger and then homelessness. And so easy to provide 
nesting sites for wild bees. You know, bumblebees just need a bit of undisturbed long grass, you know, a piece of a hedgerow or, or just, you're right, you know, an, an area, a wilder area in your garden. And most of our solitary bees are called mining solitary bees. They make a wee tiny burrow into bare soil. So again, if you have areas of bare soil, particularly south or east facing banks, you'd be amazed at the number of different solitary bees will come and nest there. And then there are some other solitary bees that are cavity nesters. So they'll nest in existing cavities, whether it's, um, you know, holes in masonry or maybe holes in a fence or wood that, that another insect has made, like a beetle, or they're the ones that will use the bee nest boxes that you can make or that you can buy in, in gardens. Yeah, those insect hotels and bulk hotels and whatnot. Yeah, there's a small number of solitary bees that will nest in those. Yeah. And would the changes in weather affect them? You know, we've been getting quite mild winters recently, and then it will get quite warm in January, February. And then, I mean, as we've seen, get really cold again in March, which I imagine might affect them. Is that the case? Yeah, hugely, hugely. And sorry, I've gone off the the original, the previous question. No, no, the previous question. I was just going to say it really is. It's you know, it's it's hunger, it's homelessness, and then it is um, poisoning. You know, the use of chemicals. They are the three three big drivers, and then hunger is the main one. Um, in terms of, of of your next question, climate change just adds an extra stressor onto all that, and. It has a huge impact, unfortunately, on biodiversity and and certainly on insects. And what you can find is mismatches between when flowers start flowering. You know, maybe that's things like dandelion or willow that come out really early and when the bees come out of hibernation. You know, so you can get mismatches. So one will, you know, the bees might come out of hibernation before the plant has started flowering to provide food. And, And, you know, there's some huge mismatches that are already happening. What you also get is that the range of species starts to change. And if they're under threat anyway, and if they become quite isolated or fragmented in the landscape, it's very difficult for them to move around. So you're right, like climate change is a huge issue for, well, for for all biodiversity, to be honest. And I guess the more that we can protect, the more resilience that we can build into that system going forward. I suppose on one side, what we see with climate change is that there's lots of species that are on the march north in Europe. So we are seeing new bee species coming into Ireland. And since 2015, we've had four new bee species arrive, all like bees and really interesting species, all of them. And as I say, one arrived just this week, was spotted for the first time. So we are seeing new bee species arriving as a result of how the climate is changing. And those species tend to be on the move north, but obviously at the same time, then other species are getting forced out to the margin of the range. And, and in Ireland, one third of our wild bees are threatened with extinction. So, yeah, but but really interesting. It is really interesting. And some people can hear this information and, you, you know, panic. But this podcast is a podcast for solutions. So you've 186, Una. Off yeah, you go. So, um, yeah. Can you let us know some of the things that we can do as part of the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan to help? Yeah, so there's 186 actions in the plan itself. And what we've always tried to do within the plan was to identify evidence-based actions for different sectors. And I would say that anyone who has any responsibility for a piece of land from the smallest window box to the biggest farm can help. And if you want to help implement the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan, it's about thinking about your site and whether that can provide food, shelter and safety for bees and other insects. And 
what we've done on the website, pollinators.ie, is develop these evidence-based guidelines for different sectors. So if you're a farm, you can go in and see lots of different actions that you can take on your farm to help you provide that food, shelter, and safety. If you're a council, you can look at the council guidelines. You know, if you're a business, you can look at the business guidelines, a school, a gardener. Really, there's guidelines for everyone. And, and they identify these really simple, low-cost, evidence-based actions that you can take to help. And it is a call to action. You know, everyone can help. And I always say lots of small actions together begin to solve big problems. And that is so true. If we all made really small changes, we'd solve this problem. And, and thanks, to, I suppose, to the buy-in for the All-Ireland Pollinate Plan, we are starting to see so many positive changes, you know, which, which is really fantastic. You know, if people are listening and are supporting the plan, I, I would say thank you. You know, and if others are interested in getting involved, there's loads of resources. Very good. And is it something that people can sign up to, to become part of and or donate to? Yeah, we don't take donations, but I suppose we ask everyone just to get involved and start taking action. So, for example, in your garden, we've got an initiative called Pledge Your Garden for Pollinators. So you can go in and say, well, I'm going to make my garden pollinator friendly. And we also actually have a mapping system for anyone who's helping can draw around their piece of land and say what it is that they're doing to help. You know, so you can see everyone coming together to address this problem. So you can definitely, you know, pledge your garden for pollinators. If you have an apartment, there's a pots for pollinators flyer that we have, so you can can make your, you know, balcony pots pollinator friendly. So there really are actions for everyone. Yeah, and it doesn't have to mean turning your whole garden into a meadow. You know, the small pots and everything really help. Um, these tiny sections. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I've been asked before, what are the top three things you can do in your garden? And, and to be honest, the top thing is not to cut the grass so often. That doesn't mean you have to let it all go wild. But just reducing mowing really is the most cost effective and one of the best ways to help. And when you do that, you're just letting wildflowers that are naturally in the soil, you're giving them a chance to grow. You know, so if you do it at the minute and just let some dandelions grow new on, they are so important for pollinators. They're so you know, this important time this time of year. Yeah, they're com- you know, pollinators coming out of hibernation. They need to have a source of food. Dandelions are a fantastic source of pollen and nectar. So really, they're such a good source of food. But, you know, if you don't cut your lawn as much at this time of year, let a few dandelions grow. We've got another initiative called No Mow May, where we ask people, just don't cut your grass in May. And again, that is so positive because what happens is that clover will naturally grow in amongst the grass, provides food for bees. And, you know, and you're helping that way. It doesn't cost anything. Less work for you. So really just trying to reduce mowing a little bit is the best way to help in your garden, if you can. Not everyone's into that, you know, and that's fine. Something else you can do is to buy pollinator-friendly plants when you go to the garden centre. And again, on the website, pollinators.ie, there's loads of lists of pollinator-friendly garden plants if people are interested. Or what I do myself, to be honest, is go to a garden centre on a nice day and hang around a wee while and see what the bees themselves are visiting and, you know, that buy that. That's such a good idea. That's yeah, like the best be market research ever. All garden centre employees and owners should just, like, hang around in their centres and see what do the bees like and just sell for the bees. That is so cool. Yeah, well, it's the easiest way to do it, definitely. And then the third thing is, you know, just be aware of what chemicals you're using in your garden and, and you know, whether you definitely need to be using those. Oh man, yeah, we have just been conditioned to see a dandelion and go, oh, it's a weed, it's killing other plants. And then we pick up chemicals like Roundup and that, which not only are there so many cases about it being um, carcinogenic, but 
it's just so bad for the soil. There's the dandelions doing all this amazing work for the soil and then we spray this horrible chemical and we kill so many worms and so many microbes in the soil. And I know so many people listening to this will already be there and I guess agree with us but I mean when it comes to my family members if I'm with them and I see them pick up a bottle of Roundup I'm like nope <laughs> yeah, I'm taking this off you and I'm gonna tell you why you are not allowed this Um, so I think it's important to really spread this information yeah. to our outside yeah. circles yeah it's a journey isn't it you know and it's about getting everyone onto the journey and moving in the right direction but there's been such positive changes in recent years you know we do a lot of work with tidy towns and the number of tidy towns groups now that have you know gone pesticide free it's, it's really incredible yeah it's so amazing to see that with tidy towns because they've definitely some of them anyway have had have just run with the tradition of beauty being plain green and tulips and daffodils as opposed to native flowers and wildflowers and you know not not having everything trimmed and prim and proper um now that's how that's how we've moved which is really good and I used to work in Ashford and there's this island kind of patch along the road it's bigger than what you'd find in an estate you know there's little patches of grasses but it's full of so many wildflowers and shrubs and it just looks amazing and when you walk by there's these all Ireland pollinator plant signs on it that explain to anyone walking by this is what this is doing for wildlife now I did have Mary Reynolds on the podcast before and we talked about the importance of signage because some people can turn their nose up and go that person's being really lazy with their garden or they don't like the look of it but having a sign with like a website explaining what you're doing just people instantly kind of relax and accept and go oh it's intentional you know they're not being the lazy neighbor there with their little patch out the front it's an intentional thing that's helping uh, the environment and it might inspire them as well so I planted a few uh, wildflower seeds in a flower box on the little island out the front of my house so I'm hoping if that gets real wild looking I will put a sign there to kind of relax the neighbours a little bit. So I imagine you guys have some printables and that that people can print on your website? Yeah we've loads of signage templates on the website that people can do yeah exactly so there's signs you know managed for wildlife and there's don't mow let it grow signs so yeah you can go in and you know see which one is suitable for you. I suppose I would say, like you, you were saying about planting wildflower seed, I would say just don't mow, let it grow and let, you know, those natural seeds in the soil come back. It's actually a better thing to do for biodiversity. Sometimes when you plant a packet of wildflower seed, it, you know, it's a very random mix of flowers, you know, that doesn't bear any resemblance to an Irish habitat. So it's it's a wee bit more, it's more of a garden action. So I would say, you know, if you can don't mow, let it grow and let that natural native grassland habitat return, you know, that's a really positive thing to do for biodiversity. But it, but it did remind me, you know, I know someone who works in a council and they were saying now, you know, things really are moving in the right direction because they now get as many complaints when they cut the grass as they do when they don't cut the grass. Wow, so, you know, so, so we are definitely moving in the right direction, but um, yeah, there's obviously still a way to go. Yeah, but hopefully a lot more people will keep signing up to do No Mo May. I'm stuck with the flower bed on the island patch at the front because my landlord won't let me do anything, won't let me grow the grass long. Um, I, go, I even tried to leave the leaves in the garden that you know came off the trees just to decompose and she was like, no, you have to rake that, that looks horrible. So I did, but... Um, Yes, when I grew the back garden, when that long grass grew, 
um, loads of moss appeared underneath, which is really comfy to sit on, by the way, and apparently very good at absorbing water and carbon, so I hear. But yeah, the flower, um, the flowers, the wildflowers I were, I was using um, are an Irish company called Native Bloom, I think. But um, so hopefully that might help the little island patch out the front. But yeah, growing grass long, that's a really good point to know that that's actually even better than wildflowers. Yeah, yeah I, w- I would just stress again that, you know, when you plant a packet of wildflower seed, that's a gardener sort of a horticultural action, which is benefiting flower visit and insects, which is fine. But, you know, the don't mow, let it grow approach is more of a biodiversity action where you're helping to bring back that grassland habitat. So there's a place for both. But yeah, again, we, we usually try to advocate the don't mow, let it grow approach. I see. That's uh, very useful to know about the flower visiting mm. um, insects. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. But yes, yeah. hopefully um, people can even just dedicate a tiny little patch to no yeah. May. It doesn't have to be big. and uh, doesn't have to be yeah. the whole garden. And hey, yeah. it's a less effort yeah. and will save you electricity. So we all need that these days. That's a really, really um, helpful suggestion for our pockets and for the bees. Now, we probably won't get through all 186 suggestions, but I will definitely link the website and, you know, people can find all of the suggestions there. That'll be in the show notes and also on bookofleavespodcast.com. But something I actually wanted to ask you about was about honeybees. When we're talking about pollinators, they are probably the most popular, the most well-known. And of course, humans love to eat honey and honey bee farming is becoming more and more popular especially as the sustainability movement is kind of growing and we want beeswax candles and beeswax food wraps etc but as far as I'm aware and you can correct me if I'm wrong this can kind of create problems because imported queens can carry disease and they can outcompete other actual local pollinators yeah, and I'm glad you asked me this because the All Ireland Pollinator Plan is all about evidence pieces. So what we try to do all the time is identify the best evidence based actions, you know. And we've touched on some that we struggle a wee bit with. So we do battle against the wildflower seed mixes, you know, because there's other actions that are better for biodiversity. And the main one that we constantly try to communicate on are honeybees. So honeybees are a, a managed pollinator. They're managed. You you manage them in a you know in a hive if you're a beekeeper. Um, and they're not in decline. And what we're seeing is the increased number of honeybees all the time. So honeybees are really important, and it's really important that we have them in the landscape, but we don't want to have too many of them. I always say, well, honeybees are not in decline. You know, one third of our wild bee species are in decline. So if you really want to help the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan, the first thing you should do is try to take action to provide that food, shelter and safety for those wild pollinators. Now, if you want to keep honeybees because, you know, you want to start a new hobby or you want to make honey, then that's 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 fine but you know it's not necessarily the best way to help our declining pollinators so and if you decide to keep honeybees we would ask that you engage with the beekeeping organization to make sure that you're keeping healthy honeybees because you're right you know if you're not doing that they can get disease which can then spread to the wild pollinators which makes things even more difficult for them and the other problem is that people do fixate on getting hives as a way to help whereas that's not the case and what can happen is that we get too many honeybee hives in the landscape and then the honeybees just compete with the wild pollinators which are already in difficulty so honeybees are really important you know there's fantastic beekeeping organizations in ireland but we would say you know just get honeybees if you want to start a new hobby if you want to help bees there's lots of other simpler things that you can do in your garden or your farm, you know, or your school or whatever it happens to be. So, yeah, it is. It's about balance. It's about trying to balance the messages all the time to make sure that people are taking the best 
evidence-based actions for biodiversity because at the end of the day the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan is really a biodiversity plan so yeah you know I'm glad you asked me because you know we did battle with, with some of the messaging around it to be honest and it's all so well intentioned you know in all these cases people want to help and it's just that you know perhaps you know they're choosing something that where there's another action that could be better and you're right you know honeybees get so much attention in the media that you know it's totally understandable that that people fixate on that in the same way that wildflower seed mixes are everywhere you know and it's so easy to pick one up so yeah you know it's but it's about just making sure we're getting the right message out so that we can protect biodiversity as well as we possibly can for future generations oh absolutely i'm learning so much for you from you this is so useful thank you and i think you know if we find out that we're doing something wrong be it keeping honeybees or planting wildflowers for pollinators it's good to learn so are there any other misconceptions that you'd like to highlight i didn't know i, was gonna, I didn't know i was gonna be talking about this kind of um, i was trying to keep it positive but while you've asked me there's one third one which are the really huge bee hotels. So people often fix it on the really, really big bee hotels. And, you know, we, we talked a wee bit at the start about solitary bees and how they nest. You know, most of our solitary bees actually just nest in bare soil. So if you want to help solitary bees, just have a little bit of bare soil in your garden or the park or the school or whatever. You know, and if you've got a south or east facing bank scraping away some vegetation to create bare soil, that's a fantastic way. And they will nest there. But people like to do something more active, I think. And, you know, so, so they will buy bee boxes or make their own. And some of them can end up enormous. And the problem with those is that you're more likely to get disease. And also they're more likely to be predated. So if birds realise that they're there and that they're soldier bees, use them, they just use it, you know, like a feeder. That's a good point because they're like bee tenements if you're making them. Yeah, them exactly. <laughs> So are you saying that we can use bee hotels, just small ones? Uh-huh. or how? I'm, I'm saying the best thing to do is to have some bare soil. And if you want to put up a bee hotel, yeah, it's better to keep it small. So, you know, like maybe a bird box that you might put up for a blue tip. That's the perfect size. And again, just make sure that it's positioned right if you want to do it. Um, so south or east to be some, you know, 1.5 to 2 metres above the ground. They will target a small number of species, but there's really charismatic species that you can attract into them. So if you're lucky enough for it to be used, it's an amazing thing to have in your garden. Now you might have leaf cutter bees or mason bees or using it that you can you can watch and get enjoyment from. Excellent. Good to know. And is there anything else either individually that you would like to highlight, but I guess systemically that could change to help our pollinators? Um, I suppose, to be honest, there's been so much success with the plan and I'm incredibly grateful for all the people who've bought into it. You know, so almost all councils across the island at this stage have signed up to formally partner with it and make positive changes to the land that they manage. You know, and, and people have been fantastic and helping us achieve that sometimes over councils you know that weren't on board and social media got involved and you know perhaps that's not the reason but you know people were able to exert pressure in all sorts of ways and we try to share knowledge within councils a lot you know so that they can all come together and you know there might be one that's doing something amazing and we can take that and you know encourage others to learn from it also all transport authorities across the island have you know agreed to make changes so there's so much positive stuff happening but yeah, I, you're asking me like, what really big changes do we still need to make? And, you know, I think it, it's going in the right direction. And sometimes it's better just to let things go 
at the pace that they're naturally going at as long as it's all happening positively. You know, so we were able to transition from the first panel of the 81 actions to now one with 186. You know, we have almost got all councils and the transport authorities are on board. Farming is obviously an incredibly important sector. What we've been focusing on to date is more on the research side there and working with farmers to identify the best actions on farm and mechanisms that will work for farmers, work for the farm as a business, and also work for nature. So we've been working really closely with farmers themselves to identify how best to make farms more biodiversity or pollinator friendly into the future. So I suppose the big change I'd love to see is that we can continue that. If we want to impact or if we want to address this problem seriously, we do have to impact you know, farmland. To date, farmers have been so positive and so supportive. Good. Yeah, that's good to know. And so it's good. It's good. It's just good to see that things are going in such a great direction as well. Um, so if people want to keep up to date with you or the pollinator plan, how can they do that? Yeah, so we've got a website, pollinators.ie. So the, all the resources are on there as well as like animations and videos and the signage templates and all the flyers and lists of pollinator-friendly plants. So it's all on pollinators.ie. We also have a monthly newsletter. So if people really want to you know, keep up to date with what's happening within the plan and each month we send out information on bees to spot, you know, and then the actions that are good to take that month. So if you're if you're interested, you, know, you can sign up to the to the monthly pollinator plan newsletter and the link is, is on the website at pollinators.ie. Very good. And I'll link that in the show notes. Now before we move on to random questions, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Just I talked about the new bee that arrived in Ireland at the start and just let people know it's called the the hairy footed flower bee. No way. So we're really excited. The yeah. Yeah, flower so really bee. The hairy foot at Flarby arrived. Yeah, it was spotted in Dublin, in around Harold's Cross, just last no Sunday. No way! I live really close so, to Harold's yeah, Cross. Quite... So oh. hopefully, I'll get to see Keep it. An eye. Oh my god, that's I'd... exciting! Welcome to Ireland, little guy. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll be able to make things a little yeah. bit better for you. Mm-hmm. The hairy. F- I have to look up a photograph of that yep. now yep. and yep. Uh, put it on the website. That's so cool. <laughs> that's amazing. Thank you for letting us know that information. This new arrival. Now for something completely different, we're going to move on to some random questions. So to pick a letter of the alphabet and there'll be a question beside that. It doesn't have to, the answer doesn't have to be related to the alphabet. But if you want to pick your first letter. Okay, uh, A. A. Oh, give us a book recommendation. Hmm. Okay, I'll give you a book. Um, I like poetry a lot. There's a poet called Mary Oliver. He writes on, on nature. And she's got a book called A Thousand Mornings, which I think is a really nice kind of gentle way to connect back into nature again. So that will be my book recommendation. That's so funny that you mentioned that because I literally only came across this poet for the first time within the last couple of weeks in this part-time acting course that I was doing. And they read some poetry a couple of times by Mary Oliver. And I was like, that's amazing. So I love it when that happens. Um, I'll have to check that book out. Thank you. Do you want to give us another letter? T. T-T-T. One skill you wish you learned in school. Oh my goodness. My son does tech graphics in school, which was never an option for me. It looks really cool. He keeps producing these really amazing kind of designs. So I think I would have loved to have done tech graphics, but it wasn't an option in the school I went to. Oh, yeah. It's so strange how it happens. Like it literally depends on where you go to school. Your education could be could be completely different. I had a couple of friends who studied Japanese in school. Wow. Um, really unusual for Wexford. But we'll end with one more letter. Uh, P. P. What is your favourite vegetable? Pumpkin. I like a pumpkin in autumn. 
Not a bad choice. Love a bit of pumpkin soup. Very versatile. Can be festive as well. And can turn into carriages. So excellent. Thank you so much, Una. And I really appreciate having the chats with you today. I've learned so much. And just thank you for all the work that you do. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Cara. Now, I hope you learned a thing or two. I definitely did. I um, learned a lot about uh, wildflower use and just how important grass is and the difference of like flowering insects compared to actual pollinators and how we can help them. You know, it doesn't one the one. What's the phrase? One brush stroke doesn't do all the something 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 that phrase so anyway i hope you guys enjoyed that if you did get something from the podcast please do share it around maybe someone else in your life will get something from it as well and yeah as always don't forget to share this episode with a friend and if you can support it on patreon or buymeacoffee.com please do and uh yeah don't forget about the bell table gig coming up in on the 18th of may and also check out the climate alarm clock podcast that i've continuously been um working with them on but even the weeks that i'm not doing it their their content is just amazing the news that they share i have like I only spend so much time on social media now and reading the news because it's not very good for my mental health, which a lot of you can probably relate to. But I just love that how they teach, how they express what's going on in the world, how they break it down, how they talk about it. Um, Yeah, it's just very, very helpful for me. And they've got lots of solution orientated little episodes as well that you can check out an IPCC report explainers every week. So yeah, definitely check out the Climate Alarm Clock podcast. And if you've any suggestions for this podcast, don't be afraid to get in touch either on my social media or email me bookofleespodcast at gmail.com. Be great to hear from you. Okay, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Don't forget about No Mo May. Have a lovely day. I'll see you in Bray. I'm just trying to rhyme there, but okay. Oh yeah, Bray. On to Katie Taylor. Okay, that's enough now. Bye guys. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.